Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Should you stay Catholic, given the papacy of Pope Francis and the upcoming synod on synodality, which is rumored to bring about some damnable changes to Catholic doctrine? Well, we're going to discuss that here in this video. So sometimes I look through the comments to my YouTube videos, and generally speaking, 99% of them are quite positive. And uh, often it's just people giving words of support. Sometimes there are some critics, which is to be expected given the internet. And then sometimes there are comments where people agree with what's being said. But given the state of the church, they're getting into a position of seeming despair. Now, I don't talk about the crisis in the church as much as some YouTubers and in as much detail. So perhaps I see less than others. But I've noticed that there's a growing trend of despair amongst a lot of faithful Catholics. And I was talking to a friend, and he actually suggested that they do a video because he's realizing that people he knows who are conservative faithful Catholics are looking at this synod on synodality coming this fall and continuing into next year and thinking to themselves, this might be the time where they sort of cross a line that shouldn't or cannot be crossed if this truly is the Church of Christ. So I want to address that issue and why I think even though things have been so bad under Pope Francis, and admittedly for a long time, just a lot of people are seeing it under Pope Francis, and given the dangers of the upcoming Synod on Synodality, why I still think you should remain in the Catholic Church. There are two traps that I think apologists, commentators, and so forth, I'm using these terms loosely, let's say Catholic influencers, whatever that means. I think there are two sort of traps that often people fall into when confronted with the apparent contradictions, heretical statements, errors, and so on and so forth that have happened in the last 10 years under Pope Francis. On the one hand, there is the one that I think is the most unhelpful which is really common amongst, let's call it, sort of the conservative Catholic crowd. And this is the approach of, listen, you don't know what you're talking about. You just don't understand Pope Francis. Here's what he actually meant. There's no problem. That's an approach that is taken by some people and over the last 10 years has become a little bit more unserious over time. Sure, in the beginning... Under Pope Francis, when he was saying some strange things on airplanes, and technically they weren't heretical, even if they did kind of scandalize, if you understood it a certain way, you could sort of squint your eyes and tilt your head and say, well, when Pope Francis said, who am I to judge about the homosexual relationships, he didn't really mean Catholic teaching should change, even though that's the impression that everyone in the world has. And granted, that was a fair argument. Pope Francis didn't actually mean that in the full context of what he said. But things like that kept happening. And then eventually it got to the point where we had Amoris Laetitia, where the footnotes in, I think, chapter 8 basically say that the divorced and remarried can receive Holy Communion, which is impossible in Catholicism. Turns out that those probably were written, if not surely were written, by the newly appointed head of doctrine for the Catholic Church, Smoochie Fernandez. But in any case, this approach of apologizing or doing apologetics for all of Pope Francis's blunders has gotten to the point where it really just feels like gaslighting. Um, 
you know, Pope Francis will literally say, don't proselytize, meaning don't go try to convert people. That's what proselytism means. And people will say, well, Pope Francis really meant was don't proselytize by force. And it's like, well, he didn't actually say that. So that's your meaning, not his. He just literally said, don't convert people. This approach is unhelpful because if you're a faithful Catholic and you have eyes to see and you have ears to hear, you see what's going on and you hear what's going on. And you can't just tell yourself that things are not as bad as you think they are because they are. They are as bad as you think they are. In fact, they're probably worse. And when somebody just tells you to just, you don't understand, you don't understand the Magisterium, Pope Francis, etc., this is not helpful. This is not helpful. In fact, I think it does more harm than good. In fact, I think it actually encourages Catholics to compromise on doctrine because they convince themselves that what they believed to be the true faith wasn't actually the true faith, and they conform to what is actually the error, which is a grave problem. Another side uh, of the coin is people recognize there are problems but the response is basically, listen, the gates of hell will not prevail. It's, you know, suck it up, grit your teeth, carry your cross. God wants you to be obedient, that sort of thing. That's not really helpful either because it's all well and good to say, yes, you have to have faith. Yes, Christ said the gates of hell will not prevail. Those are all true. And it may be that the gates of hell are not prevailing in an ultimate sense, but in my diocese, they're prevailing you know, in, in such and such bishops' conference, they're definitely prevailing. And the gates of hell are definitely prevailing in Germany, you know. Um, again, this approach, although yes, it's true, one ought to just keep the faith, and yes, there is persecution, and yes, there is hardship, and yes, carry your cross, all these things are true. But it's kind of condescending to just say, just suck it up, buttercup. And it's like, well, yes, like you can suck it up for a lot of things in life. You know, if you sprain your ankle and you've got to finish your day at work because you've got to feed your family. You just have to suck it up. There's a lot of things you can suck it up. But Catholicism is not Protestantism. You can't just have you and your Bible. You have to have the sacraments. You have to have the priesthood. So you can't just suck it up when you're not even sure if the Mass is valid. You can't just suck it up if you're not even sure that the priest is actually absolving you of your sins. You can't just suck it up when you want your kids to have first communion and they're going to be taught by, you know, such and such lady in the pantsuit telling you that it's just a symbol. You can't just suck that up. You can't just suck up heresy or suck up heterodoxy or heteropraxy. Just, these are things you just, you can't just suck it up with those things. So that approach isn't really helpful either because, again, on the one hand, no, we shouldn't be gaslighting and pretending there's no problems. But then if you recognize the problems, just saying suck it up, rub some dirt on it, that's not really possible because you can't save your own soul. You have to have the sacraments. You have to have the faith. And you can't save the souls of your children without the priesthood and without the sacraments. So if those are suffering, again, you can't just suck it up. So this leaves Catholics in a really difficult position. And it seems in a lot of cases like, what's the point? It seems in a lot of cases like, well... There's really no way for me to continue with this thing. The priests in my diocese don't care about me. The bishop doesn't seem to care. You know, he's kicking out priests who are unvaccinated, etc. Um, you know, they're, they're, they don't really speak up about all the LGBT stuff happening in our parishes, you know, and so on and so forth. And people are in the position where, you know, they're basically just saying to themselves, 
Whatever it means for the gates of hell to not prevail, they've definitely prevailed in my church and they've definitely prevailed in my life. And that's a really sad place to be in. So what is the solution? Well, before we even talk about a solution, and sorry if you can hear the children overhead, it happens. Before we can even talk about a solution, we need to discuss the gravity of the situation and why you are even thinking about leaving the church and why that's agonizing you at all. The reason why it's such an agonizing choice to leave the church or stay in the church is because as a Catholic, you intuitively, intuitively understand that Jesus Christ established the Catholic Church and that outside the church there's no salvation. This is just a fact. You understand that the Catholic Church is the Christian Church, that the sacraments are the only normal means of salvation, and that you need those for your salvation of your soul. So you really have to ask yourself, what do you believe about God? If you believe that about the church, what does that say about God? Would God leave you an orphan? Scriptures tells us that he won't. When you ask the heavenly father for bread, he won't give you stones, even if the earthly fathers will. So as difficult as it is to see, we have to believe as Catholics that this church was established by Jesus Christ and that as impossible from a natural perspective, it may seem that things will just be okay. We have to believe that if this church is of Christ, then there's going to be a way through. That's number one. Number two, we also have to remember that we can't leave the church because just like the disciples who Jesus spoke to in John chapter 6, if you recall that part in the gospel where Jesus is explaining the reality of the transubstantial, the transubstantial nature of the Holy Eucharist, the reality of the Eucharist being true food, his real body. At that point, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of disciples who had been following him apart from the 12 apostles for many months and in some cases even over a year or two. And they'd been following him around. And he was their teacher. He was their rabbi. They believed he was the prophet. He, they believed he was the Messiah. And then he comes out with this teaching and they basically say, this is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And then virtually all of them except for a select few, including the apostles, leave. So Jesus says to Peter, he says, Will you also leave? And Peter says, Lord, to whom, shall we, to, to whom shall you go? You have the words of eternal life. This obviously is very different than our situation. We're not saying in this situation that the church is trying to teach us sound doctrine and it's difficult and therefore we're going to leave. That's not what's happening at all. It's kind of the opposite. But it does show us for, sort of in a reverse sense that there will be things that will happen that are allowed to happen where we're going to say to ourselves, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? Now, in this case, if they do decide to go forward with a, an approval for blessing gay unions or something like that, no one can accept that. This is a hard saying, we cannot accept that. But we still can't leave. Because as Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We should also talk here quickly about the nature of the synod. You know, I'm guilty of this. We're all guilty of this. We're busy. We have lots to do in our lives. Children to raise, children to stomp on top of you while you're recording a YouTube video. Sounds like elephants up there. I apologize for that if it was hard to hear there for a moment. But we all have difficulties. We all have time constraints. We can't 
read endless amounts of literature. We can't read endless amounts of news. We can't read endless amounts of theology. So a lot of the time, we just kind of see the headlines or the summaries, and we think we understand what's going on. And I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. One thing I've learned as a journalist is that you got to read the footnotes, not just the footnotes. You got to read the sources, the footnote, where the source, where the footnotes are from. We got to read the sources where the footnotes are from. Most people don't do that. Most people in the media don't do that. Most people in the church don't do that. So you look around and you see there's a synod coming and it looks like they're going to change Catholic doctrine. And it just, you think, oh my goodness, this is insane. Let's temper that just real quickly here. The synod, as disastrous as I believe the process could be, the synod, it is not an ecumenical council. There is no official mechanism by which they could change the legitimate doctrines of the church because that is an impossibility. If we look at church history, we really do see the protection of the Holy Ghost in the church, even during times of heresy. Think back to the Arian crisis. If you're not familiar, this was in the 4th century, um, 4th and 5th century, where there was a heresy by Arius that essentially Jesus wasn't God. He was sort of the highest creation. This was accepted by about 90% of bishops, they estimate. It was a lot of bishops. And even in the midst of that, there was the Council of Nicaea, which established that that was a heresy. And it was an orthodox, important council of the church. The thing is, though, after the Council of Nicaea, the church was still in crisis. The heresy did not go away. It just, it was just defined as a heresy, but it was still everywhere. And people were still suffering. And there was basically a schism in the church because of that definition. It was a real bad problem. But it's amazing is that throughout all that time, even when they had a pope like Pope Liberius II, who basically signed on to a tacit approval of accepting something like that heresy, that's difficult historical conversation. Even with a pope that was pressured, wasn't the strongest. He was the first pope not to be included in the martyrology, if I'm not mistaken, or not to be canonized, whatever the whatever it was, uh, in like 25 popes. Um, even in that situation, the church didn't change doctrine. Um, in the Middle Ages, I'm going to forget the name of the Pope, but uh, he was basically a Satanist. You know, he was, you can read it, uh, the history by Roberto de Matei. He was toasting Satan at dinners with dignitaries and cardinals and so forth. Like he was practicing wizardry and fornication. I mean, he was this terrible, terrible human being and, 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 a, and a complete and utter heretic, not just a heretic, but like an actual Satanist. He didn't change doctrine. The revolution that happened at the Second Vatican Council, it's caused a lot of confusion. But by the grace of God, the council was very clear that it did not define any new dogmas and that they did not invoke the charism of infallibility in the non-dogmatic statements of the church. And this is how the church has always been protected. So although it seems like things might change with the synod, just understand that on an official capacity, they can't change, and they won't. It's impossible. This doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. This doesn't mean that there won't be pseudo-changes. I suspect that there'll probably be something like, well, the church has not officially said that you can bless gay unions, but a commission has been established for the pastoral nature of blah, blah, blah. 
and the diocese has the authority to deal with these pastoral situations how they choose, which could include something like, you know, spiritual support for uh, gay unions, like, you know, something like that. And the diocese will take that and run with it, and they'll start blessing gay unions in their churches. I do think something like that will happen. But as bad as that is, you have to understand it's not actually church teaching. Also, these problems exist everywhere right now in the world. Protestantism is a disaster. For one, Protestantism isn't true. It's a heresy, so you can't save your soul in the normal sense in Protestantism, so there's no point anyway. But even if, even if you were to go to Eastern Orthodoxy, let's say, where at least they have the sacraments and how the Eastern Orthodox are saved is a little more mysterious than, than one wants to admit. But nonetheless, there are problems in Eastern Orthodoxy with the blessing of gay things, with climate change, with all this nonsense. Yes, there are many Eastern Orthodox in traditionally Christian countries who do fight against the LGBT mob, but that's largely because of the countries they're in. Um, you know, you're not going to see blessing of gay unions in the Catholic Church in Africa, even if you see it in Chicago. The same thing is true with Orthodoxy. The Orthodox priests come over to North America and they get really liberal in a lot of cases. The Greeks are different than the Russians and the Serbians are more like the Russians and different than the Greeks. And, you know, they have splits within there, like coming out the yin-yang. And they have basically modernists and they have traditionalists, just like in the Catholic Church. There's no solution there. So how do you push through all this, given how confusing it can be? Well, I'm going to recommend a few resources, and I'm going to try to remember to put those in the description to this video, but please remember them in case I forget. The first thing, it's kind of like when someone has to admit that they're an alcoholic. The first thing is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> the first thing is admitting there's a problem in the church. Like I said, it's gaslighting to pretend there's not, and it's condescending to say, yeah, there is, but suck it up. The first thing you have to do is admit that there's a problem in the church and that it's really bad. Okay. To understand the crisis in the church, I'm going to recommend three resources. Number one is a book called The War of the Antichrist. It was just put out by Tan Books. And this is a book written by a priest in the 1800s. I've read through it. I've interviewed the author, Joshua Charles. You can check out, check out that interview on my channel. It's basically how there was this deep-seated infiltration by heretical, Masonic, communist, philosophy and forces into the church in the 1700s and 1800s. And it's a very interesting work. It at least gives you a lot of perspective about why things happened the way they did. The second book is Infiltration by Dr. Taylor Marshall, who's a friend of mine. And the reason I say that is because it picks off in some ways where this book, War of the Antichrist, left off because the War of the Antichrist was published in 1885 or something like that. Taylor also, of course, wrote his book in 2018, 2019. So there's a lot of history that's happened since then. The third thing I'm going to recommend, the third book, um, is a book, and this, and this might be the one I recommend the most. This is called Open Letter to Confused Catholics by Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. In the 1980s, he was writing as a bishop from his heart to Catholics, and it's exactly what it says. Open Letter to Confused Catholics. How do you make sense of this, and where do you go? And I said I would recommend three things. I'm going to recommend one more, a podcast series by the Society of St. Pius X on the crisis in the church. There was one episode every week. 
and there are about 50 episodes, therefore, from the year series. I think it came out in 2021. It's excellent, and there's endless amounts of information that can help you make sense of it. So that's understanding that there is a crisis and understanding you're not crazy for worrying about the gates of hell prevailing because that's what it feels like. The second thing I want to do, I want to recommend catechetical resources. What do I mean by that? The best way that you can defend yourself and your children against the situation in the church, the heterodoxy, the heresy, the error, and so on and so forth, is you have to know your faith the best. Okay? I think that the best thing you can do in order to understand the Catholic faith better is to just simply pick up the Baltimore Catechism. I would stay away from the new catechism of the Catholic Church, not because it's not good. There are a lot of, objectively speaking, very good things in it. It's just a lot more wordy. It's a lot more flowery. It's, it's, it's a lot less accessible. Also, the new catechism has been changed by Pope Francis to express things that are kind of in contradiction to former teachings. So from a perspective of clarity, I would just stay away from it, even though it is a great work for other reasons. I would recommend getting the Baltimore Catechism. You can find them inexpensive online. You can find them uh, on audio, even on Audible, I think. Uh, I would also recommend getting the Catechism of Pope Pius X, which is excellent, and that was actually the basis for the Baltimore Catechism. These are all question and answer explanations, so they're really easy. And if you want to go one step further, I would say the Catechism of the Council of Trent. But if I had to pick one out of all three of those, I would probably just pick the Catechism of Pope Pius X. I mean, you can't get better than a catechism uh, that is written in a simple question-answer format written by one of the greatest popes in history. I mean, that's just a great idea. Um, and then lastly, if you do want to go deeper, my friend Matthew Pleasy, he wrote a book called The Roman Catechism Explained. Again, I'm going to try to put these in the show notes if I forget. It's The Roman Catechism Explained. He's an expert in catechesis, and he did a series of articles for a year or two and put those into a book format about explaining the Catechism of the Council of Trent. This is the last thing I'm going to uh, recommend, sort of number three. This is kind of two in one. You have to do everything in your power to go to a parish where you get the Catholic faith. The reason I don't say only a traditional Latin mass parish is because I understand that that's not possible for everybody. It's more possible with a little with a little bit of driving, almost everybody can go. It's very rare, even here in Canada. And I'm in like a, Canada is a, is a diocesan wasteland when it comes to, to tradition. But even here, spending an hour, hour and a half in a car, pretty much in all population centers in the country, you're going to find a traditional Latin mass, a chapel of the SSPX, et cetera. So that's number one. You got to find somewhere better to go to mass. It could be that you find an Eastern Catholic place where um, the liturgy is beautiful and, you know, the Eastern Catholic situation is not perfect. People think because they have a nice liturgy that they're not modernists. There's a ton of modernism in Eastern Catholicism, but they have kept the liturgy and that speaks volumes. At least if you go there, you're going to experience something that you know is Catholic. That's number one, find a place. Number two. Adopt a traditional Catholic prayer life. If you don't already pray the daily rosary, you have to pray the daily rosary. 
get off the internet. This is part of the prayer life. I know, I know you're watching this video, but listen, if you're thinking about leaving the Catholic Church or you're despairing, and this is the last video you ever watch, I will be so happy. <laughs> Please, don't damn your soul because of YouTube. If you're despairing, get off of YouTube. Even if there's good stuff, just for now. And there is good stuff on YouTube. But just get off, go read the Catechism, go read the New Testament, pick up a book by a saint, and pray the rosary. Like, that's it. Just do that. You will start to understand the faith and the crisis in the church so much better because you'll finally have your interior peace. There's no way that you can understand and push through the crisis in the church if interiorly you're having a crisis. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, in addition, uh, as part of what you should read, I'm also going to recommend, this, this is sort of part of the, the third recommendation of, of, of the catechism and, 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 and et cetera, stop reading private revelation. I mean this. Catholics need to stop reading prophecies. And here's why. For one, although there are many prophecies in church history that do have some sort of diocesan approval, meaning the bishop said, yes, this does not contain any theological errors, that doesn't mean that the work should be read by all Catholics. Um, what's called an imprimatur or a nihil obstat these sort of seals of approval that they get on these works, these are a very low bar. All they say in these books is that there's no heresy in it. Well, obviously, potentially imaginative prophecies aren't going to contain heresy. But, there's, but that does not mean that it's supernatural. That does not mean that it is literal. That does not mean that there's any interpretive key in the book. Catholics are reading these prophecies because they're thinking about the crisis in the church and they're finding saints talking about this or that. And it just makes them spiral even harder because there's no way to understand what they mean. And it does not offer anything to your spiritual life in most cases except for despair and confusion. So stay away from Catholic prophecies. There's a time and a place for them. There are holy priests and mission, men and women and bishops and so forth who have over the, t over the years interpreted these things. They've been useful there are certain prophecies that are kind of universal to the church, like the prophecies of Fatima. Okay, fine. But as far as all these, you know, big, thick works where it's like mystic so-and-so going over X, Y, and Z, that was not meant for you to read. Those are supposed to be read in very limited cases, and they cannot be read by someone with a troubled soul. In fact, a good spiritual director will tell you that. He'll say, put down the Blessed Catherine Emmerich, put down the Mary Julia Jehenny, whatever, put down the so-and-so. And instead, pick up the imitation of Christ, pick up, you know, the soul of the apostolate, pick up, um, you know, abandonment or whatever. I think it's called something like abandonment to divine will. You know, pick up something that is meant to be for you to nourish your spiritual life by guiding you rather than something like, look at this crazy stuff that mystic so-and-so saw. That's not going to help you at all. That's just going to make everything worse. Okay, so I think that's enough. But. Ultimately, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it is wrong for Catholics to say there's no problem in the church. There is. It is wrong for Catholics to say there's a problem. Just suck it up because you can't just suck it up. You need the priest. So you got to have a plan. 
find yourself a good place to go to mass, maybe you have to move. I mean, that's a daunting thing. Um, but your soul is worth a lot. I mean, Christ says to us, goodness gracious, my children overhead. Uh, Christ says to us, what is it? profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul. Your soul is more important than anything. So, you know, you might have to make some difficult choices. Become catechized. Get off of the internet. Get off of social media. Stop reading church news. Read the saints. Read the great encyclicals of the popes, you know, especially before the council. Read the great works of of, of spiritual masters and so forth. Stop reading prophecies. Stop reading rabbit hole vision stuff. And just be Catholic and save your soul. That's the way through. And I've got to give myself a shameless plug. I do think that the the good God did raise up a wonderful saint named Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre, who started the Society of St. Pius X. And the SSPX is around in many places in this world, helping Catholics find their way through the crisis in ways that other priests just don't have the freedom to do. And if you do have any questions about the SSPX, you're not sure what to think. Please pick up a copy of this book. I've written it so that everybody can understand, and I'm sure it will be helpful. And, it, you know, for me, the SSPX was a refuge when I understood the crisis in the church. I'm very grateful to them. And I know that there are thousands, if not millions, of Catholics in the world who have found refuge with the spiritual sons of the Archbishop. And um, if this is given to us by God, we should utilize this. So, as always, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Until next time, God bless.